0: I was asking y'all to read Second Kings chapter 5, I think it was like 1 through 14 or so, but I'm just going to look at verse 1 and 2. It's going to take me a while to get where I'm going, but just, you know, put some toothpicks in your eyelids to stay awake. Uh, I promise you, if you stay with me, it's going to make a lot of sense, but it's going to take me a while to set it up and get there, amen? Y'all ready? Okay. You hungry, Fred? All right, all right. Anybody else hungry? Okay, not for for physical food, but spiritual food. Amen? Amen. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Oh, my goodness. What does that say? What does that say? Everybody say, but. but. Don't you like it when the in getting away? He was a valiant soldier, but, but he had leprosy. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. Hmm. Father, there is a weight on me of this message, that you have shown me some things in here that you would like to speak to your church, specifically Northfield, specifically those that you have put me as the shepherd over, that you have entrusted me to, that I hope I'm being a good steward of. All of us need to learn this lesson because there is a distraction in our life that will keep us from you, but there is a pathway that we must follow to see you move in a fresh way. May we wake up to that, may we flow in it, and never forget it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The text that we have written it's really not about kings, it's not about prophets, it's really not about priests, it's, it's about a soldier. Everybody say soldier. Naaman was a soldier and he was covered with armor. He had a headdress and his headdress set him apart from all the other soldiers because his headdress proved and showed that he was the commander of the army. A commander of the army, when he said go, they would go. When he said stop, they would stop. When he said sleep, by goodness, they would sleep. Naaman was large and Naaman was in charge. Naaman had power. Somebody say power. Power. He had climbed to the pinnacle of success simply with a sword. He paid his dues on the battlefield as blood all, went all the way up to his ankles as he was fighting through the crowds. He literally had to step over his dead comrades to work up that ladder. But he rose to the top and he earned the right to be called the commander of the army. Naaman was a mighty man of valor and he had favor with the king of Syria. And the king of Syria was literally indebted to him because through the sword or through the arrow of Naaman that King Ahab of Israel fell dead down to his grave. So when the Bible alludes in the first verse that that the fact that Syria had been set free, it it accredited to Naaman's fighting skills because he was a mighty soldier. When he walked through the streets of the marketplace, the grown women looked at him and kind of giggled because they all wanted Naaman. The little boys idolized him and looked up to him because he was such a great man of valor. Even men in the army respected him because Naaman was a mighty man of valor. He was the commander of the army, but shh, Naaman was a leper. See, Naaman had a secret pain that was undetectable to the masses, but it was visible to his eyes when he went home. And I'm wondering this morning, beneath all of the fancy garb that you have on and the tapestry upon your body this morning, who in here could possibly be hiding a secret pain of your life under all the armor that we put on to operate in society? After all, he walked in the streets and he would go into the marketplace and he would stop and he would talk to people in the marketplace. And he came and he would made dealings with people in the marketplace. And as he was dealing with people in public, privately, he was dealing with things that they didn't even know about. Somebody say, Naaman was a leper. And see, nobody in this room really knows the cost of the pain in your life. The people you work with. The people that you come in here on Sunday mornings and you worship with. The people that live around you. Some of you, even your family members, don't even know the secret pain that you have to deal with in the crevice of your heart when you are behind closed doors all by yourself. But church, that is why I have a relationship with God. That's why I love God. Because I don't serve a God that only goes with me in public. I don't serve a God that just shines my armor to where I can look pretty in front of you. I serve a God that He is right there with me in my painful places when I go behind closed doors. Those things which I have no control over or no power over, He's right there with me. Can I get an amen? But see, here's Naaman. He has power, but he has no power. He has power, but he has no power over his leprosy. He has authority, but no authority over that disease. He has greatness, but no greatness. How can Naaman be so respected in public, but so afflicted in private? How can that happen? How can for name really how for how for you? How can you be so respected in public, but so much in pain and private? How can it be, as a Christian, it's the best of times on Sunday morning, but it's the worst of times on Monday? How can it be wonderful and horrible at the same time? How can Naaman be at the pinnacle of the success of his career, but come home to take off his armor and to unbandage the wounds? Naaman was a leper. Naaman was a leper without a hospital. Naaman was a leper without a pharmacy. Naaman was a leper without antibiotics. Naaman was a leper without pain pills. Naaman was a leper without any comfort from his wounds of his own human soul. How could a man be so mighty and fight in an army, change literally the destiny of a nation, but he could not fix himself? How could Naaman give good advice to other people and not able to fix his pain? Because, shh, don't you dare tell anybody that I'm a leper. Because if anybody found out, if anybody knew that I was a leper, I could lose my position. Because you have to understand in biblical times, did you know what they did to lepers? They would excommunicate them into little societies and those little societies were full of diseased people. They would not only excommunicate Naaman, but he would no longer be the commander of the army and he would be excommunicated from the sociological society in which he was in. Because if they ever found out if the commander of the army was a leper, he would lose his power. He would lose his pedigree. He would lose his finances. He would lose the respect that he has in that community. Naaman was a leper. And if it was not enough to have leprosy, listen to me, if it was not enough to have leprosy, can you imagine the stress that came from hiding it. That's why I don't understand why people walk in the church and go, and, ah, da, da, I am good. But really, internally, your marriage is falling apart. Internally, you're falling apart. You act, you, the stress to put on the face. To the community that you're all that in a bag of chips, but internally you're falling apart. I don't see how you live up under that stress. Listen to me. This was a disease that this man had on his body where the muscle tissue began to rot off of the bone. He could have been walking around and said, over there, and his finger would have went, Thank goodness he probably had gloves on. Literally that's what leprosy is. But see to me that pales in comparison of the pressure that he had on his life to hide it from everybody. Naaman was a leper. He might have been able to stop the oozing by bandaging himself and hiding it up under the armor. But how in the world could he control the smell of the rotting flesh? How did he do it? Naaman was a leper. All I know, according to the text, it is by God's grace, and we will see why it is God's grace and God's mercy. I believe there was, must have been a special grace and mercy upon his life because there's a providence here that we have to deal with. That Naaman actually survived the nostrils of his comrades, survived the visibility of his friends, survived the suspicion of the leadership. Yet when he got home beneath the shiny armor, beneath those beautiful brass boots, when he took it all off, he was as vulnerable as the people he led. Naaman was a leper. And he did not mind taking off his armor when he got home because the only one that would see it was that young, little, no good for nothing maid. A little bitty maid. A little bitty maid that he picked up while fighting the king of Israel. So if Naaman undressed, he didn't mind the maid seeing it. Because after all, who are you anyway? I could have you killed in an instant if you opened your mouth. And nobody would believe you anyway. But pay attention to this little maid. She had no money. She had no power. She had no recognition. She had no prestige. She now doesn't even have a country or a culture. She was a slave. She couldn't be any lower in society than her. Of course you can see my leprosy. Simply because of who you are. And I'm much better than you. Understand that Naaman had become great for what he did. Listen to me. Naaman had become great for what? He did, but when you read the story, she is great for who she knows because she knows a man back in Israel that knows the King of kings and the Lord of lords and through the power of His words, He can set you free and heal you. I don't care what you do. If you don't know Jesus, baby, you ain't nothing. That little slave knew... That she could bring about a change in Naaman's life. Keep your eye on this little maid. Because this little maid have every right to be bitter. Somebody say bitter. Come on. She's been snatched away from her family. Probably her family was killed. Snatched away from her friends. We don't know what she did back in Israel. But what we do know is she's been demoted to a slave. So she had every right to look at him and say, <laughs> you're going to rot and you're going to die. Right? I read some of y'all's Facebook. Some of you would be just like that. You're going to rot, you're going to die. <laughs> but who would have thought that the life of the commander of the army would be at the mercy of a maid? Think about that. It was at the mercy of the maid. See, the Bible calls her a young girl, which shows me she wasn't even significant among the maids. She was a little maid, taken from her country, taken from her culture. She was little on the outside, ladies and gentlemen, but she was large and in charge on the inside. And you've got to understand that God had allowed Naaman to take her captive. Because God had the cure for his crisis in the hand of a maid. You have to see God's providence of allowing this particular young maid to be in the house of Naaman. Because you've got to understand that the answer to the cure in my life... Because the maid was in the house. Because God allowed Naaman to take captive the very one that had the cure in the crisis. You've got to understand that your cure for anything in your life is within your reach. It's within your reach. That's what this teaches me. You don't believe me? What about the jawbone of a donkey? Think about the providence of God in the jawbone of a donkey. He had to let the donkey die at the right time, in the right place. So when I was in battle and I took a step and I needed it, I reached down and I took it and I killed the army. Do you see God's providence? Not only with the maid, but in your life, what you need is within your reach if you'll just look around because he is still Jehovah Jireh. So there she was. She was held captive by the divine assignment of God. They thought they had snatched her against her will. But they surely didn't snatch her against God's will. (laughs) It was all orchestrated for a purpose. So here we have Naaman. He has a private pain of leprosy. And now here we have a maid. Of a private pain of no family. And now. I'm a slave. The pain of both of them. But God had purpose in her pain. And God had purpose in his pain. She was nothing. But her pain had a purpose. And here we are as we pray. Order my steps Lord. Lead me, guide me, and direct me, oh God. Right? Until we pray, order my steps, Lord. Why did I just lose that job, Lord? You hearing me? We like to pray that prayer when it all lines up with our will, but when we pray that prayer and we lose the job, then we're like, Lord, what are you doing? We pray that prayer until we get to a difficult season. And then we get mad at Him. We pray that prayer until that prayer brings us into pain. Oh, God would never do that. Stay with me and you'll see. Yeah, He does. Order my steps. But what do you do when He orders some steps that you do not want? Because the question is... She just had surgery, so let's praise the Lord that she's even walking. What do you do when you pray that prayer? He orders some steps that are painful. Is he just the God of good times? Or is he a God when you are brought into a situation that you cannot control and you have no power of? See, Naaman and the maid were in very similar positions. She was in a place that she couldn't get out of. And so was he. The commonality between the woman and Naaman is they're both held captive by their private pain that they have no control over. And the funny thing is, is she would look at him and think... Only if I could be like you. If I could be like you, I could get up when I wanted to get up. I could go to sleep when I wanted to go to sleep. I could eat when I wanted to go to eat. I could walk on the streets when I wanted to go to walk on the streets. But little did she know, when he was undressing, he would look at her tender, young skin and say, I wish I was you. They both... Had something in common. As he undressed. She had a decision to make. Will I help him? Or will I let him rot? Because he has caused great pain in my life. And I don't know who you are in this room today. But the Lord wanted me to take a step further. And minister to you. Because listen to me. It's a decision all of us have to make in our life. Will I help the one that has caused pain in my life? Or I'll sit back, keep quiet, don't let them know about Jesus, and watch them die. Because see, if the wrong maid had been held captive, Think about the providence. If the wrong maid had been held captive, Naaman probably would have died. Because if a vengeful, angry, bitter, nasty woman would have been taken, (laughs) she would have held what she could have done. Are you hearing me? But see, the problem is, is when you hold back what you could do for people... When you hold back what you should do for people, God holds back on you. Are you hearing me? You are no more deserving of the blessing you seek than the blessing you withhold from the person you hate. You want me to say that again, sister? Okay. You are are not more deserving of the blessing you seek than the blessing you withhold from the person you dislike. And until, everybody say humble. Until you learn to be humble like this little bitty maid. Until you learn to be humble, you will never be mighty. Because the greatest test in your life is how you handle people you don't like. But that's just a little side note. That was a pearl that the Lord wanted me to give you. But here's the little maid and the reason I like the little maid is she is the example that we look to throughout this entire passage. Because this little maid, in her humility, somebody say humility. humility. In her humility, she says, I got to help the man. I got to help the man. Naaman, there is a prophet in Israel. Naaman, there's a prophet in Israel that knows Jehovah. And if you went to him, I promise you, Naaman. Through the power of God, he could set you free. But here is the problem. Here's the crux. I've been building and building and building to this moment right here. Naaman had to go into a country that he just conquered and he hated. He had to be willing to deal with people. That he just killed. But see, Naaman better be glad he didn't kill all of them because he didn't kill the little prophet that God was about to use. And what I'm trying to say to you is as you notice as we progress, what God is trying to do in Naaman is to annihilate his pride. And I've told you since I've been here, I've never seen such a prideful region in my life. And what God's doing in this church is he's chipping away at your pride and he's calling you to look to the maid and be humble because the real test for Naaman and the real test for you and this is not your pastor talking this is the Holy Ghost talking and he would ask you how bad do you want it how bad do I want what How bad do you want your marriage to be healed? How bad do you want your kids to be set free? How bad do you want your mama to be saved? How bad your daddy be in church? How bad do you want a fresh move of God in your life? How bad do you want more of Him? How bad do you want to go deeper with Him? How bad do you want revival? Let's just keep filling in the blank. How bad do you want it, He's asking you. Because He's saying if you want it bad enough, pride is not the way to me. It's a humble spirit and I'll bless a humble spirit. See, understand that God will put your deliverance in a place, and usually that place is to force you to become humble. And when you're humble, you learn to come to Him. He'll put you in a place that your marriage is falling apart, and He'll humble you until you say, Okay, I'll go get counseling and I'll listen. He'll put you in a place to humble you that you'll go, I've resisted this altar call for seven years, but by God, I'm at a place that now I've got to come because I need Jesus. So I guess the question is, is for all of us in this room, is how bad do you want it? I want it worse than a hog won't slop. I want you to be set free. I want you to be delivered. I want you to be whole. I want your kids to be serving the Lord. I want a fresh move of God in this place. I want this to be a hospital for the sick. I want it to be hope for those that are moving forward. And I want revival to hit this church. That's how bad I want it. And let me tell you, I haven't given it up on you and I haven't given up on God. Why do you think I'm starting to ignite? I'm about to put that baby down into D for drag. I may even put it for N for uh, nitrous. Are you hearing me? You know those little things on the car back when it said R and N and all that. R for race. I'll put it down in R for race. See, when you look at this passage from the correct perspective... Now, last week we realized, and if you haven't listened to last week, you need to listen to last week because it ties into this week. I'll tie it all together. But last week we realized that some attacks are from the enemy. And you could say, well, the enemy's caused this leprosy. Nope. God allowed this leprosy. This was not Satan's attack. This was a sovereign maneuver of God to bring pride in that soldier to a place Of destiny. See, it was good that he was afflicted. Because if he had never been afflicted, he would have never found the door to God. And the door for him to reach Jehovah was humility. And humility works in your life where pride stoops down to it. Somebody say, stoop down. Because in a minute you're going to see name and keep going down and down and down. But when I think about stoop down, I can't help but to think about Jesus. And when I think about Jesus, it makes me want to preach. Because when I think about Jesus, I think about Himself being God, stooping down from the heavenlies, from divinity to humanity. He stooped down so that He could save the world. Sure, He could have come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But He said, I'm going to come in human form and I'm gonna stoop down to where I can save everybody's life. Amen. Somebody say stoop down. Amen. Pride's gotta stoop down to humility. And see, see, God used the problem to humble Naaman. To bring him to a place of submission. After all, how do you teach a prideful Person to submit. Believe me, I do a lot of counseling. <laughs> and it's like pff, you run up into the wall of pride. Prideful people don't want to change. I call them their hard nuts to crack because they just got this outer shell of pride. How do you teach a prideful person? Because after all, the commander gives orders. I don't take no orders from you. Are you hearing me? Who is this little country preacher to come into our town and tell us how to be after we've been this way for all these years? But see... When you come to a place of inner pain, <laughs> now you start to listen. Naaman had so much inner pain, about to lose his position, his prestige, his power. He turned his ear to a little bitty maid that took orders from him, is now suggesting to the man go to a country that you hate. See, church, there are some problems in your life. You live life long enough, that problem will bring you to your knees. Don't believe me? Wait till one of your children, like we prayed for today, gets sick. And it'll bring you to your knees, and you got to say, i got to go wherever there is a place that will pray and believe in healing. See, some of you would never even be here in the first place if the circumstances of your life hadn't brought you to this place because suddenly the pain was so great that somewhere in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit you said, I need a place that preaches the Word of God and allows the Spirit of God to move and the presence is moving where I can get to Jesus. And that's why as your pastor, as your coach, life coach, whatever you want to call me, your shepherd, your pastor, father, I don't care what you call me, my whole goal is to push you to have a whatever-it-takes attitude in the kingdom of God. Whatever it takes, i got to get to Jesus. Whatever it takes to get my marriage right. If i got to go to counseling, I'll go to counseling, but I'll go with an open, humble heart to receive whatever I can get. I'll get down at this altar 27 times if it takes 27 times. But i got to get my children back because the enemy's got them. Whatever it takes to get your peace back if the enemy is trying to steal your peace. Whatever it takes to get my mind back because it's going crazy with all of these thoughts. Whatever it takes to get my joy back because I feel depressed. Whatever, whatever, what I'll drive to church if it takes me an hour. I'll get to church. I'll rearrange my schedule. But whatever I gotta do, I gotta get to the house of God because I gotta get to Jesus. I know I may be old school, but good gracious, i got to get to Jesus. I know I can pray at home, but there's something about coming in the assembly of the saints. And there's a synergy and an energy and a faith that God has created and He has formed. It's called the body of Christ with different giftings and abilities. That somebody has a gift that I need and it might be the gift of healing. Would you come and pray for me? i got to get to Jesus. I've been asked at pastor meetings, how in the world is your church growing? I said, it's nothing that I do. Just let people live life long enough. You preach the word, create a spirit-filled church, and they'll come running looking for life. (laughs) Because if you live long enough, life will hand you some stuff. And you're going to have some pain where you need a word to apply to that pain. I'm talking about creating a spirit-filled believer. I'm talking about creating a word-preaching church that will, uh, you know what? If you get in a spirit-filled church with spirit-filled believers going after God and they've got humility in their heart, let me tell you, it'll make you get up, put on your stinking britches, and come to the house of the Lord to get a word from God to live the life that you're living and the pain that you're going through. But see, Naaman goes down. Somebody say down. He goes down from Syria to Israel. Now watch this. He he was told to go to, to the prophet. But Naaman and his connections goes to the king. Pride. He goes to the king. Then he goes down... From the palace to the prophet. But when he goes to the king, he asks the king to write him a letter. Write me a letter so I really don't have to go down to Israel. The king says, okay, I'll write you a letter, but you take it. See, God will even orchestrate the unrighteous to push you where you need to be. And that king gets the letter. Not to get into it, but the other king thinks he's picking a fight with him. The king says something like, who am I? Don't you see that this other king is picking a fight with me? And Elijah hears about it. And Elijah says, king, I'll take care of this. So here is king, or excuse me, Naaman. He goes down from Syria to Israel. He tries to go to the king in his pride because he thinks, after all, my position, my connections, my networking will get me what I want. And I don't have to go down to a place that I don't even want to be in. That's beneath me. Now watch this. Watch God still working on him. Every step of the way, God is just slicing pride off of his life. When he went down to the prophet, the prophet doesn't even come to the door. (laughs) The prophet sends a servant. And you've got to be thinking, Naaman, it's got to be running through his mind, does he not know who I am? People try to get in line because they're trying to get to me for years. Do you not know that I was just in front of your president and this little preacher won't even come to the door? You mean to tell me I can't get an appointment with the pastor today? He's so busy, i got to get one next week? But watch God's mighty work. Elijah was so in tune to the Spirit of God that God inspired Elijah to send a servant to the door instead of going to the door himself. Naaman went down from Syria to Israel, down from the king to the prophet, now down from the prophet to the servant because he's cutting that pride out of him. God is using all of this divine steps to humble pride in Naaman. And I can tell you today, church, that I want the people who attend this church to learn to go low. And I can tell you as your pastor and as your shepherd, I discern that we're not low enough. But I know if we're willing to humble ourselves, if you're willing to humble yourself, God will heal that thing in your life. Why? Why? Because humility is always the way to exaltation. Where is that in Scripture? Well, God said it. He said, I will humble those that exalt themselves. But if you humble yourself, I will exalt you. The quickest way to go up is to go down. And the servant comes to the door and watched watch him still cutting prod. He tells Naaman, the commander of the army, a servant, again, a servant tells him to go to Israel. Now a servant again is giving the commander of the army instructions and he says go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. The servant is telling him Take off all of your prestige and your pride and your armor. Take all of your titles off of you and go dip yourself in the dirty, nasty, stinky waters of Israel. What was God trying to wash out of Naaman? See, the leprosy on the outside was the reflection of the pride rotting his insides. You've got to see that. God was trying to get pride out of Naaman, but Naaman hadn't gone low enough yet. And you could tell that he hadn't gone low enough yet because when the servant said, Take a dip, he said, Not me, I'm out. That's like these altar calls. You have an altar call? Not me. Exit stage left. I got to get to Arby's. Which is a great place to eat, by the way. Are you hearing me? We'll get to the altar calls in just a minute. Where am I? Look, Naaman would have walked away. Now look at his pride. He was about to walk away, but one of his servants, one of his comrades, somebody that he trusted, watch this, said if the man would have asked you to do something great, you would have gone and done it. Now here's somebody speaking into his life. You don't like it. Oh, my goodness. What happens every Sunday that you come here? Somebody's speaking into your life and you don't like it. (laughs) Why? Because of pride. And since the prophet asked him to humble himself, his pride, the servant was saying your pride is standing in way of your destiny. And when it comes to the altar calls, what we're more concerned about is our image than our deliverance. But pastor, I can just stand at my seat and everything. No, there's something about you making a public confession of coming forward and saying you know what, I got to get to Jesus. There's something throughout the Old Testament about the altar, and you'll see it in just a minute with Naaman, but there's something about the altar that is sacred that when the man of God calls you to come to the altar, I don't care what you have, I don't care how many times you have to be there, and whoever you are judging other people, that that's the 30th time that person, get alive. Maybe that person wants to get to Jesus. We're more concerned about our image. God is determined to crack the pride in you before he'll ever heal you. So here's Naaman, he goes down to the muddy waters of Israel. He goes into dirt to get clean. He goes into filth to be righteous. He goes into degradation to get exaltation. And he eventually humbled himself and became obedient. Humbled himself and became obedient the light should go on. Because when I run over to the book of Acts, I see Paul humbled himself and became obedient when he said, go down to Damascus to find your healing. I look to the Father that I see him humbled himself and he became immediate, obedient. And if I see every great man in God humble himself, then why do we come to church and sit on our high horses and ignore the calls to come to the altar where God calls you to come, to be healed, to repent, to have A fresh encounter with him. I don't get it. I don't get it. We got to get down. We got to get down. Because when we get down, we're going to go up. And I say before the end of the year is up, we got to get down we got to get down before the clock strikes twelve. got to get down from our pride and do whatever it takes to have a fresh encounter in our individual life, in our family life, in our church life, which will spread to this community. Church, we need to see God move fresh again. Fresh on you, fresh on the church, and fresh on this community. And I'm longing for a move of God, but it starts in the power of humility. And God will not touch it with prideful people. So for some of you prideful people, it's time for you to start saying, I'm sorry. You're right. I do have a problem. For some of you, it's just time to stop. Stop lecturing others and start listening to the man of God. And learn more time to get down on her knees at the altar and come to a place of humility and said, Lord, if you don't help me, nothing's going to help me. Without you, this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. So Naaman went down to the muddy water. Went down in that stinky, nasty water of the Jordan. And church, the man went down sick and he came up sick. Now imagine in my mind what the enemy was speaking to him because he speaks it to you. See, Vi came down to this altar on encounter night. She'd been down to this altar many times, but it was this time that she has no more pain in her body. And see what she She thought thought was was the voice in her head of the enemy saying, Look at you. You're making a fool of yourself going down there and exposing your weakness to everybody. After all, the word says you're supposed to be a conqueror. Don't let them see that you're not. All the Bible says you're supposed to be the victor, but look at you, you're a loser. Don't go down there at that altar. But See, Naaman was a point of his life, and the pain was so great. He said, I don't have a choice. So Naaman went down again. And when he came up out of the water, he still stank with leprosy. The leeches were now attaching to his rotting flesh. Disease was still on his body. The dirty waters were probably painful, oozing into those sores. But Naaman said, I have nothing to lose. So he went down again. Because humility will always say, you have nothing to lose. Go down to that altar again. Proud will say, nope, go home. But humility says, no, you have nothing to lose. And it pushes you to the altar and pushes you to the altar. And Naaman, he went down again. And Naaman went down again. And Naaman went down again. And Naaman went down the sixth time. And I've got to stop right here and tell you about the sixth time. Because the sixth time when he dipped, he still had no healing. And what the Holy Spirit wants you to know is the sixth time is the sign of humanity. The sixth number is a sign of flesh. The sixth number is a sign of human effort. The number six is the sign of humanity. It's the sign of pride. Because Jesus was saying, I'm not going to heal you in your humanity. I'm not going to heal you in your way. You're going to go down again because on the seventh time, it's my perfect number. And when you rise up out of the water, you shall be healed. (laughs) I know many of you have been down at this altar. I don't care if it's the 136th time. And each time you went home, you didn't get healed. And I understand, church, I've been there praying to God, believing, crying out, fasting. And the devil will whisper in your ear, don't go down there again. That altar ain't working for you. (laughs) No need for you to even show up on Sunday." Nothing happened last Sunday. Don't you see how dead it was? You almost even fell asleep during the word. (laughs) Don't even attend pastor's class because after all, that's just for baby Christians. Pride. But the Lord has sent me to deliver a message to you. Northfield we're going to keep on dipping and we're going to keep on dipping and we're going to keep on dipping and you're going to keep on dipping because if you dip he'll dip baby you got to keep Dipping to get to Jesus. Some of you have been through hell, but this may be the dip that gets you out. Some of you are sick, but this may be the dip that gets you healed. Your baby's got a problem, but baby, this may be the dip that gets her healed. I'm going to keep on dipping. I don't know who you are, but your deliverance may be in your dip today. If you just take one more dip, he'll dip with you. I don't know who you are, but this may be the dip that sets you free. I don't know who you are, but this may be the dip that God is getting ready to bring you out. I got to tell you, just keep on dipping. Because I believe you're coming out of this. I believe with all my heart, you're coming out of that pain. You're coming out of that misery. You're coming out of that depression. You're coming out of that storm. You're coming out of that anger. But you got to keep on dipping. Are you hearing me? The Lord told me, just tell them, keep on dipping. I said, why, Lord? Tired of begging them to come to the altar. They look at it like it's a disease. He said, but if you tell them, son, to keep on dipping... To keep coming to my altar in humility, I will, whew, I will, send a fresh encounter on their life in this church. Look at somebody say a change is coming for you. You gotta make up in your mind. I ain't got nothing to lose, and I'm gonna keep on dipping. The waters are stirred every Sunday and you're going to keep on dipping until you get a change. you got to dip in the water and guess what? There's going to be one time you're going to dip in the water and you're going to come up out of the water and all of a sudden your marriage change. changed. And then I came one time and I dipped over here and I looked around and my baby was healed. And then I dipped over here and somebody laid their hands on me and my whole mind began to be stable. I just kept on dipping until I got my miracle. Your circumstance is not beyond God's ability. If she'll just keep on dipping in the water. As the musicians come, I'll get out of your hair. Because there's one important thing that I want to show you that'll tie into last week. See, Naaman comes, he comes up out of the water. The seventh time he's healed, the seventh time he's set free, the seventh time his body is whole. Now, if I was a really good preacher, which I'm not, I would have stopped there and had an altar call. But see, I'm long-winded. And i got a lot to say. And I don't want you to leave today without getting this point. If I don't tell you what happened, I'll never tell you the purpose of his pain. If I don't tell you what happened, you'll never see the purpose of the maid's pain. See, if you look at it through the lens of God instead of you, it wasn't about Naaman getting healed. Naaman was from Syria. The Syrians were into idolatry. They did not believe God. Remember about location? God took someone that they respected, someone that had influence, someone that was effective. God allowed the leprosy to come on the man. That there would be only one God that could heal him of that leprosy. And it was Jehovah. So when Naaman came up out of the water the seventh time, Naaman said, I've got to serve the God that delivered me. And God said, but Naaman, I'm not finished yet. So Naaman sends a letter to get permission to take two oxen to offer it up unto God. And Naaman went back to Syria. (gasps) And he built an altar. He built an altar and offered up a sacrifice to Jehovah. Because see, the whole entire purpose of his pain was God to use Naaman to bring the worship of Israel over to Syria. And suddenly the Syrians heard about the God and the great things that God had done in Naaman's life. Because God is after regions. And I want you to understand... There are going to be people in your location that when you tell them you go to Northfield Church, they will go, You're crazy. Isn't that the wackadoodle church? (laughs) Yeah, we're just crazy for Jesus. Jesus. Don't that preacher get loud and like about burst your eardrums off? Yeah, but he's just excited for us and wants the best for us. You know, you're going to have people in your location that will probably resist God. But they're not resisting you. But believe me. If I can teach this church to stay humble in his presence. And you actually let pride fall off of you. And you stay humble. When somebody ticks you off, instead of flicking them off, you stay humble. Instead of giving them your thoughts, you hold those thoughts, bring them captive to the mind of Christ, and stay humble. When you go through great pain and difficulty in your life and you keep your head lifted high from which your help comes from and tell them if it hadn't been for Jesus on my side, I'd have had a nervous breakdown. They cannot deny that God has done great things in your life. Do you hear me today? we got to stay humble before His presence. And listen to me, church, and I'll get out of your hair. When you prayed and asked God to use you mightily in the kingdom, your pride thought it was ministry. But God can use your pain to maneuver you into a place that if you'll keep on dipping, He will bring you out and they will see in your life that it had to be the Lord. Now, some of you in this room, and I want to encourage you. Don't worry about the smell of your pain. Yeah, it may stink. Ah, It may hurt right now. But your pain serves a purpose. Lazarus, I love you, boy. But I'm not going to heal you. I'm going to let you die. How about that for a miracle-working God? I ain't going to heal you. I'm going to let you die. Oh, yeah, it'll be scary. Oh, yeah. It'll be nothing like you've ever experienced before. (laughs) Why are you walking away, Jesus? Because I know you'll rise again. It may be painful and there will always be a group of people who will not believe in your God until they see you come out and rise again from what you went through. Your pain in your life serves a greater purpose than you think. And there are people in this room with painful problems. You are in this room with painful situations. You have no peace in your home, no peace in your marriage, no peace with your kids, no peace in your mind, no peace in your body, no peace with your parents. There ain't no peace. And I ask, how can you look so blessed on Sunday morning but have such private problems? It's because God's forcing you to a place of humility showing you that your pain serves a purpose. And if you can humble yourself and trust Him. If you can stop doing things your way like we saw Naaman do. If you'll stop being angry. Like I said, if you can think things but not say them. God will use your pain for a purpose. And let me tell you something else. God's not always going to heal you your way. Sometimes it ain't going to make sense. But if you keep on dipping in his presence, I don't care if it looks weak or not. I'm going to keep coming to this altar over and over again. I told somebody the other day, a pastor would call for marriages. I wasn't even married. I'd come down anyway. He'd look at me and say, son, you ain't married. I'm like, I don't care. I'm praying for my future wife. Somewhere I'm married in the spirit. But you had an altar call, and I'm going to get down there. Be called for gays and lesbians. I still went around down there. I'm a lesbian. I love women. I told him that. Some of you will get it later. And I'm going to get in trouble later. I promise you. If you're not careful. Pride will scream at you. Don't go to that altar. You know. I love what pride tells a lot of you. That message wasn't for you. Look, if you ever walked out of here and said that message wasn't for me, that's pride talking to you. Because in every message, I don't care what it is, you can find something in there to put in your pocket. Put your, p- put that bullet in your pistol and shoot it. Amen? Purpose is saying shut your mouth and get down there anyway. can't believe he told us to shut up. Yeah. Pride says don't come. Purpose says shut your mouth and dip again. So I don't know who you are and I know we've gone late. But if you'll dip, God will fix it. If you try to stop having the last say in your arguments, God will fix it. God will always bring you to a place so that your life can be a testimony in your location. I don't know who you are, but if you're ready to dip, stand up all over this place. You may have walked in this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. The only dip that you need to consider right now is dipping into his blood because it's only his blood that can cover your sins. This is not about a list of do's and don'ts. This is about your eternal destination. You either choose today, heaven or hell. It's totally up to you. When you give your life to Him, it's still not about do's and don'ts. It's about following a man that saved you from the pits of hell. And because He saved me, you know what? I I might as well just follow Him. And along the way, it's not about just cleaning up your behavior and attitude adjustment. It's about you being filled with the Spirit. And all of a sudden, you became a changed person. Because the Spirit is helping you to change your life of the things that were robbing you and keeping you in chaos. So you've walked in this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you want one today. Raise your hand right now. That's me, Pastor.